You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So just as God's word is alive and powerful, we know that ministry is the same. If, if ministry is alive and moving, there's going to be changes. We cannot get distracted. Um, we have work to do. Uh, that's why we go into Bible study. That's why we pray with and for each other. And that's why we have that time of worship and singing. It's so we can grow and, 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 and kind of push back the distractions of the world. Amen? Amen. Our main text is James 2, 14 through 26, and uh, we'll go through those kind of verse by verse like we normally do. The title today is True Faith Will Be Accompanied by Action. So the ultimate battle royale. Any wrestling fanatics? You guys watch wrestling? Because I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Back in the day, Hulk Hogan, those, I used to watch him. actually took Pam to a wrestling match when we were dating, and we got to see Hulk Hogan get out there and do the Hulk thing, Hulkamania stuff. But the aspect of looking at faith versus works, it, it, it is that excitement that we should be like, are you ready to rumble? Like that kind of mentality, right? Um, people want to battle about those things all the time. So a question for you as we start, what is the motivation for giving to others food, something to eat, something to drink, um, for clothing the naked, for housing a stranger, um, for visiting those who are sick, or, or even visiting those who are in prison, a jail? Really, the answer is it's, well, it's the love of God. That, that's the motivation that we do those things. Faith in God transforms our character and our behavior. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're already saved. You don't earn your salvation by doing those things. Rather, you express your overflowing love for God in obedience in service to others. Good works is done in obedience to God. That's evidence of our faith, the fruit we don't earn or purchase our salvation. If, if a person says they know Jesus as their Savior, then there's got to be proof of it. There's, there's got to be confirmation that the Holy Spirit is working in an individual that, that's changing them to the likeness of Christ. That doesn't mean an artificial change of behavior, but one that stems from a true transformation of their very character. A transformation that occurs inside our very being. And we see in our passage today, belief in a deity is not the same as faith in God. Demons believe that he exists. In fact, they dwelt with him in heaven and they were cast out because of the rebellion against him. They also saw Christ rise from the grave. They're well aware of spiritual realities, but they do not willingly submit to the Lord or obey him. They continue in, in their pride and their rebellion. So does the person who refuses to believe in Christ for salvation. In verse 14, we establish a principle for our passage. And really, 
for our lives as a Christian. The fact that our lives should be a demonstration of our faith being seen through genuine loving action. So James 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? What use or what profit is it? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, in the New King James Version, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are edifying. We can do anything we want, but is it edifying? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I have been forgiven of all of our sins. We've been given the guarantee of salvation, salvation, that free gift, ours simply to receive. God's grace covers us, all, all the good choices and all the terrible choices we make. His grace is there. And though nothing can impede our salvation, not all things are beneficial for our walk with the Lord. So if we claim Christ as Lord, we must ask two questions as we live life. Question one, is this behavior or action that I'm doing or about to do, is it okay? Do we even think about what we're doing, what we're saying, uh, what we're writing, what we're communicating? The second question is, this thing that I'm about to do, does it help my relationship with the Lord and, and does, it, does it build up my testimony that I'm gonna be able to share with others? Kind of back to that simple question of if it doesn't glorify God, why are you doing it? God wants us to move beyond merely debating whether something is wrong or right and instead to choose actions that are in line with his will and build up the faith of others. Asking literally in prayer, Lord, please help my heart align with your heart. Help me to make choices based on your will in my life. Easy to pray, easy to say, isn't it? Easy, words come right out. But it requires hard work, faith and action. James thought it impossible that somebody could genuinely have a saving faith, but no works. Someone could say he has faith, but fail to show good works. So then the question is valid. Can that kind of faith save him? Remembering James here is writing to Christians from a, a Jewish background they, that discovered the glory of salvation by faith. They knew the exhilaration of freedom from works righteousness. That's what the Jewish leaders had taught them from birth. The litany of rules that, that they added to what God had told them to do. In Christ, there was freedom from that. But then they went to the other extreme of thinking that works didn't matter at all. I have faith. I'm okay. I don't need to do anything else. Can that faith save him? James is not contradicting the Apostle Paul who insisted that we are saved not of works in Ephesians 2.9. James is clarifying the kind of faith that saves. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. But saving faith will have works accompanying it. Listen, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone it has good works with it. 
The Apostle Paul communicated his understanding of action and works, proving our character, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. See, when I say you were created with purpose, you're here for a purpose today, like there's purpose in our lives. If you woke up, like I said last week, you woke up, you took breath in your lungs, it means you had purpose. God has something for you to do today. The Greek word translated workmanship is, is poema, which we get our word poem. Thus, we are God's poetry. Um, when I was in South Dakota earlier and we did our camping trip, we had stopped one day after being out and about and we stopped in Deadwood. And uh, there's an area, a huge area off to the side there that's, that's full of all these carvings. And maybe you've seen them even, well, in the, anywhere in the mountains, really. Like there's... Um, a bear, there's an eagle, like they carved out of trees, right? There's a sas, a papa squatch, no, sasquatch. Um, I need one in my front yard. They're just huge, they're amazing. They're all out there for sale. I, I need that sasquatch in my front yard. I think that would be awesome. But I'm amazed at the detail in those, especially the fact that, that those things are carved with a chainsaw. Like, what kind of detail? And when I say to you on Sunday morning, you have purpose, that is a God-created purpose. And that's even more amazing than being carved by a chainsaw. I would prefer the way God created me instead. You and I are created by God with purpose. And, and you might not think that, well, you're very impressive, but all we've got to do is, is look in the mirror, proper perspective, Look in the mirror and consider what God had to work with and what God is doing and has done in your life. Right? Too many times we look in the mirror and we get negative. Oh, there's another gray hair. Oh, I'm getting some wrinkles here. Oh, no, look at, look at yourself in the mirror and with godly perspective. Oh God, you, you created me with purpose? What is that purpose? God made you. In our world, there's people who will say, well, you, you Christians aren't all that great. I see all kinds of inconsistency and hypocrisy and problems. And whenever I hear that, I don't defend myself and I don't defend you. I simply say, you're right. We're a mess. But you wouldn't believe how bad we were before. How much God has done since I've surrendered my life. Realizing that, we see that our former state, we are indeed poetry. It was funny, I reconnected with a friend from high school days um, at my mother-in-law's memorial. And uh, so she knew me in high school. I'm sure you have some of those friends. We're standing in the foyer and she goes, so this is your church. Uh-huh. Hmm. You're the senior pastor? Yeah. Huh perplexed. Where was I before? What is it that God has done now? God had a lot of work to do and is still doing that work in and through us. Amen? You haven't arrived. Paul also wrote in Titus 3.8, this is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will carefully be careful to engage in good deeds these things are good and profitable for men. If we're going to be heard as teachers and parents and grandparents, it's not how much you know that matters. 
It's how well you know what you do know. How well do you know what you believe and why you believe it to be truth? And how do you help others know what you know? How do we get to know things well? It's by hearing them over and over again. That's why I affirm consistently and continuously and exhort you that be in God's word, not just on Sunday morning, be in God's word every day. Because the more we hear God's word, the more we replace all the other stuff in the world and we replace that with God's word, the stronger we become. The more focused we are, we understand why God has us here Even today's passage reiterates itself for 12 verses. Can that faith save him? Clark said, that is his profession of faith, for it is not said that he has faith, but that he says, I have faith. It's interesting, a side note here, as I was prepping this message, I thought about the thief on the cross, that by faith he accepted Christ. What was the only work he could do? The only work was to surrender internally to the Lord. He verbally confessed. He internally believed that was his work. He couldn't do anything else. He couldn't feed the homeless. He couldn't take communion. He couldn't get baptized. Yet Jesus said to him today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know that you're truly born again when you find yourself obeying God's word. Again, we're not saved by obedience, but our obedience proves that we're saved for true faith works. We see in verses 15 through 17 an example of dead faith. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute and of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? That's also faith by itself. It does not have works, it is dead. To fail in the most simple good work towards a brother or sister in need demonstrates that one does not have a living faith. We can only be saved by a living faith in Jesus. Poole said, under these two of nakedness and hunger, he comprehends all the calamities of life, which may be relieved by the help of others as food and Rainment contain all the ordinary supports and comforts of life. First Timothy 6.8 says, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. This is good perspective for us. As I believe, we have become very spoiled in our country, haven't we? We are so blessed. If you have something to eat and have a shirt on your back, be content. This is neither a suggestion or a principle. It's a command. How, how quickly we, we get anxious and we're not content. Can we be content? Not complacent, but content with what God has given us. John Corson had shared a story. He said, in the mountains of Mexico lie two adjacent springs. One sends forth hot water. The other sends forth cold water. A travel guide had said to an Indian as he washed his clothes in the springs, wow, your, your people must thank Mother Nature for hot and cold water right next to each other. The Indian answered wisely, no, we grumble because she did not supply soap. That's our human nature. We grumble. 
Even when God is so good to us, and we talked about this last week, the poor versus the rich, the statistics show that the poorest person in the congregation is wealthier than 90% of the world's population. You've got to think about that next time we decide to grumble about the lack of soap in the midst of God's provision. To say be warmed and filled means you know that that person in front of you needs clothing and food. You see the need. You know it well, but you offer nothing except a few religious words. God bless you or bless your heart. We're quick to throw out a God bless you at the sound of a sneeze. People used to believe that a sneeze uh, caused someone to expel their soul out of their body. God bless you or bless you was protection against the devil snatching your soul. That's where that came from. During the Middle Ages in the 14th century in Europe, the bubonic plague, also known as Black Death, was widespread. Because it was such a fatal disease, people were often very religious. They used that phrase, God bless you. And really it was a benediction to someone who might not be living much longer. Ah, think about that next time you say God bless you. And the reality of, is there something more that you can say or do? Nowadays, it's just a polite thing to say for us. What does it profit? Real faith and works accompany it. They're not made up of only spiritual things, but also a concern for the most basic needs as comfort, clothing, food. Listen, church, this is hard. (laughs) And don't misunderstand me. When the need arises, sometimes we need to pray less and simply do more to meet the need. See someone in need. Well, let me go pray. I'll fast and pray about that, and I'll get back to you next week. Sometimes we just need to do. We just need to serve with what God has given us. Sometimes we use prayer as a substitute for action. I was talking about that yesterday with one of my dear friends. Like we, we say we'll pray for somebody. Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. That's, that's hard. And then we just kind of go our ways. And do you really ever pray? That's why even here, I, I encourage everybody, it's like pray with each other. You're talking with somebody, you find out there's a need. Hey, before you go, can we pray real quick? And you pray right then and there. Meet the need. Clark kind of throat punches us. He says, you're pretending to have faith. Well, you have no works of charity and mercy. It's utterly vain. For faith, which is a principle in the mind, cannot be discerned out but by the effects. That is good works. He who has no good works has presumptively no faith. It's the first time that James speaks of dead faith. You see, faith alone saves us, but it must be a living faith. Not just religion, right? It's relationship. We can tell that faith is alive by seeing it accompanied by works, and if it does not have works, it's dead. Remember, we talked about fruit inspection. (laughs) We talked about that. Our faith is seen through the fruit, which easily becomes an action. A living faith is simply a real faith. If we really believe something, we will follow through, we'll act upon it. If we really put our trust and faith in Jesus, we'll care for the naked and destitute. He told us to do, to do it without giving it a second thought. And I know sometimes we get a little callous because we see somebody on every single corner with the little sign. What does God, do you ever ask as you're going by? It doesn't mean you have to give to everybody that you see, but are you asking God to help you be discerning to know when you should 
or how you should minister to that person. David Guzik asked, what are some marks of saving faith? He said, it is faith that looks not to self, but to Christ. It is faith that agrees with God's word, both inwardly and, and with words. It is faith that in itself is not a work that deserves an award from God. In this sense, it is simply refusing to think God is a liar. And, it, and that in itself, it is not a good work, simply the absence of sinful work. It is faith grounded on what Jesus did on the cross and by the empty tomb. It is faith that will naturally be expressed in repentance and good works. It is faith that may sometimes doubt, yet the doubts are not bigger than the faith, nor are they more permanent than faith. This faith can say, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief, which I've prayed many times. It is faith that wants others to come to that same faith. Do you really believe what you believe to be truth? And then we should have a desire to tell others what God has done for us. It's faith that says more than Lord, Lord, as in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And in your name and perform many miracles. But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is a faith that not only hears the word of God, but does it as in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Listen, church, that your act of love or sacrifice towards someone in need may not change their circumstances but it will bring a moment of relief. Did, did you hear that? Your act of love and sacrifice towards someone in need may not change their circumstances, but it'll bring a moment of relief. next line that I was going to say. A fresh cold drink on parched water, parched lips. Or a hot cup of coffee on a crisp morning. The simplicity of shade provided in the heat of the day or a warm blanket or a coat on a winter night. You see, the poor, is, they're, they're always going to be with us. I had somebody years ago from CCU come and, and ask me after a service, and they were just really on that. Like, man, we're going we're gonna to eliminate the poor. We're going we're gonna to meet all those needs. We're going to do... But Jesus said the poor are always going to be with us. 
If the poor are always gonna be with us, there's always gonna be a need. There's always gonna be an opportunity for us to show the love of Christ. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Next, the living faith cannot be separated from works. Verses 18 and 19. But someone may well say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. James is addressing our, our stinking thinking again. The kind of thinking that answers conveniently in excuses. Some might try to say, uh, uh, you have the gift of works, and well, I have the gift of faith. This is where uh, the excuse comes in. It's fine for you to have the gift of works. You care for those who, who have need. That's not my gift. Wrong. It's like saying that you're not an evangelist. Well, I'm not an evangelist. I... I can't tell others about Jesus. Wrong again. Real faith is demonstrated by works and it's accompanied with words. For so long we had that saying of like, always share your testimony and use words when necessary. No, do both. (laughs) Do both. Let your actions speak louder than your words, but use your words. When someone gives their life to the Lord, we we don't see this glowing light. We don't know what's happening in their heart, like they're being beamed aboard the Starship Enterprise. (laughs) We don't see it. Something transpires within them. The appeal of James is clear and logical. We can't see someone's faith, but we can see their works. You can't see faith without works, but you can demonstrate the reality of your faith by how you live your life, by how you speak. May your faith be seen, and in your faith being seen, may God be glorified. There's conversations we have with unbelievers, and maybe you've had that with some of them, and, and uh, even yesterday we were, with my friend, we were talking, and there's somebody that had said, well, I believe in God. Okay, but they're not surrendering their lives to the Lord. They won't confess and believe in Jesus. Well, that's falling into a very dangerous category. As James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Uh, The demons believe too. The fallacy of faith without works is demonstrated by demons, which have a dead faith in God. The demons believe in the sense that they acknowledge that God exists. They were in heaven with God before they were cast out with Satan. They know God is real. They just refuse 
as Satan did, to surrender their will, to surrender their rebelliousness before God. Knowing God is real, this kind of faith does nothing for the demons because it isn't a real faith. And that's proved by the fact that it doesn't have works along with it. Their works are evil to the core. We want a living, saving faith, one that confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for our sins, that we believe he was raised from the dead, giving us an opportunity to repent for our sins, stopping what we're doing, turning from that sin, asking for forgiveness, restoring that relationship with the Father. James then shows us an example of living faith in verses 20 through 24. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with, with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled. And yes, Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, the man that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. We talk about all the time how important the whole counsel of God's word is. We need the Old Testament and the New Testament as we study. They connect and they all point to Christ. James takes us to the Old Testament, showing us an example of the character of living faith that saves, not a dead faith, not a dead faith that will not save. Abraham justified by works as he offered up Isaac. Abraham was justified by faith way before he offered Isaac. Genesis 15, 5 and 6, he took him outside and said, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. He said, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He had faith way before he ever got to Isaac. Abraham was all in. His faith in God was established. We think that we're going to skate through God's provision and direction without any issues, without any trials or testing. The circumstances we experience do not change God's will or direction, but it takes faith. It takes faith for us to be obedient. So here's a very uncomfortable question for you this morning. How obedient are you willing to be when God shows you something or tells you something that you're supposed to do? Are you obedient enough to lay your child on the altar? Now, if you have a toddler or a high, middle school, high schooler, you might think yes, but. The reality is, it is a sacrifice. Are you willing to make that big of a sacrifice in being obedient? James properly estimates that Abraham actually did offer Isaac, his son, on the altar. And even though the angel stopped him from actually killing his son, yet he offered his son in his firm resolution and intentions, he would have completed the act that God had told him to do if God had not stopped him. Abraham was so complete in his obedience that he counted Isaac as dead and set him on the altar. Faith and works cooperated perfectly together in Abraham. 
if he never had believed in God, he could have never done the good work of obedience when asked to offer Isaac up. As well, his faith was proven true, was completed, was made perfect by his obedient work. If God says in the midst of a trial to do something like, well, let's say, become the pastor of a church while your wife has leukemia, you have a choice. Be obedient, reap the benefits, or disobedient and wander in the desert for 40 years. That'd make me 90-something. Now, granted, we're still under God's grace, but, but we're taking the long way to where God wanted us to be in the first place. Or let's say God calls you to another state to do ministry. Message not pointed here at anybody. But God lines everything up. God is directing and guiding and providing and opening doors. But then the enemy comes in and the enemy wants to discourage us. Right? He wants to distract us and point us a different direction. He wants to discourage that obedience. It was not an easy thing for Abraham to bind his son's hands and feet and to lay Isaac on the altar. Our faith requires us to be obedient, even doing hard things. Clark said in regard to Abraham, here's proof that faith cannot exist without being active in works of righteousness. His faith in God would have been of no avail to him if it had not been manifested by works. James said, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. The faith that will not, will not justify a man is a faith that is without works, a dead faith but a true faith, a living faith, shown by true good works, will alone justify. Works accompany a genuine faith. Genuine faith is always connected with regeneration. There's that Christianese word of being born again, becoming a new creation in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he it's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So we would become the righteousness of God in him. That's even my exhortation for you today. I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. You might say, I'm a believer, but I don't feel like a new creation. We look at Genesis 1 and we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth became formless and void. God spoke creation into being. Same is truth with, true with humanity. God made us in his image and we became without form and void. We, we separated from God. When 
we choose to submit to Satan instead of God, it's a mess. The Spirit of God begins to move upon the face of the water, as we saw in Genesis. The Spirit of God moves upon the pages of his word. His word is alive and powerful, and, and, and when we hear it, that word of, of let there be light, that's God's word speaking into us. And when we last we saw the light, the recreation process in us was put into motion, the new creation in our very core. We are a new person. We are not the same person. It's easy for us to forget as a Christian we really are different. We're, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be the same person we were before Christ. We don't have to give in to the flesh. As a matter of fact, we should do everything we can to repel the old man and anything and anyone who would pull us back to that old person that we were before. The new birth experience is exactly what God says it is, a fresh beginning. When we're born again, we not only have our sins forgiven and our guilt removed, but we also have the Holy Spirit who indwells in us, living Christ's life through us. That's what helps us become Christ-like. We can never be what we were before. We are born into a new life with a new spirit and nature. Because of that, our desires and goals should be conformed to those that God has for us, not the world. If there's no evidence of new life, then there's, well, probably not a genuine saving faith. Charles Spurgeon said, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Rahab is another example of living faith, verses 25 through 26. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Rahab the harlot harlot. We read that, and it just seems tame enough of a word, but this is a hard word. A whore. Harlot. Someone who is sinful to the core. A woman who is indulging in, in sinful things for gain and even maybe for lust. That's heavy. Significantly, though, James used two examples of a living faith. Abraham, the father of the Jews, and Rahab, a Gentile. James is subtly rebuking the partiality, we talked about that, that may be developing in the Jewish Christians against the Gentile believers as, as those Gentiles are starting to come into the church. Was not Rahab the heart also justified by works? Rahab demonstrated her trust in the God of Israel by hiding the spies and seeking salvation from God. Her faith was shown to be living faith because she did something about it. Her belief in God, the God of Israel, would not have saved her if she had not done something with that faith. So here's, here's the thing. A lesson from Abraham is clear. If we believe in God, we're going to do what he tells us to do. The second from Rahab is also very clear. If we believe in God, then we're going to help his people even when it costs us something. The sacrifice. John Calvin said he designedly put the two persons so different in their characters in order more clearly, in order more clearly to show that no one, whatever may have been his or her condition or nation or class in society, has ever been counted righteous without good works. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works is dead. 
So we can have a body without life. It's dead. That, that's the corpse. We can also have a faith without life. Faith without works is dead. It's unable to save. Burdick says it this way, therefore, if no deeds are forthcoming, it is proof that the professed faith is dead. I've met many people who have said, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And that's all it is. It's just a title. There's nothing else there. Notice James does not deny that it is faith. He simply indicates that it's not the right kind of faith. It's not a living faith or a faith that can save. The reality of a fruit tree is that a fruit tree has life. The roots is where the life is. The life is behind the, the bark. The fruit of that tree is, is not the life. The, the fruit of that tree is produced because the tree itself is alive. And that fruit will be available in season. In order for us to, to bear fruit as a Christian, we have to exercise our faith. We have to walk in it. We have to do something. Uh, building that, that faith muscle, as we've talked about, it means we have to activate that muscle. And, and it can be uncomfortable, difficult. It can even be terrifying. God gives us many ways every day to do that. In our passage, it was the naked and hungry. But as I said, what is God asking you to do? Is it, is it to be a pastor? Is it to step on a, up into ministry at a deeper level? Is it to set the example in your own household with your spouse or, or your kids? Is it to walk through cancer with your spouse with grace and mercy, instilling love and faith and hope in them? Is it to share the gospel with, with a struggling coworker? Or is it to pick up your family and obediently move to another state? To engage in ministry at a whole new level? True faith will be accompanied by action. Back when I was a youth pastor, we, we had different ministry teams, kind of like we do now with our leaders, but, but we had one that was a drama team, right? So those are the ones that did our our human videos and our skits and all those things, the name of that team was called Live It Out Loud. We need to live our faith out loud, not quietly in the closet. I'm a Christian. Shut the door. Don't want anybody to know. No, we come out and we proclaim Christ. We live our faith out so as we close, the question I have for you, how many of you would say this morning, I need to add more action to my faith? Anybody? I mean, it should be. God, I really need to add more action to my faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we think about faith versus action, how they go hand in hand, it, it's not one or the other. It, it's us living. It's a lifestyle of being a Christian. And Lord, you saw those hands and you know the hearts of every person in this room and even the hearts of those listening online. Lord, would you help us we can't do it without you. Meet us at that point of need and 
Help us to step up and into our walk with you with a greater intentionality, with a greater um, purpose and focus. I thank you for today's passage and I pray, God, that you would help us to chew on it this week and, and even today and, and, and just to, to devour it and to apply it to our lives. Help us to lean into you, to exercise our faith and to put that faith into action. Lord, as we said last week, help us to, to give those that are around us a, a glimpse of genuine faith to represent you well. So Lord, give us the ability to discern and to boldly act upon opportunities that you give us to truly live our faith out loud. In Jesus' name. The gospel message never changes, and one of the things that I was determined becoming the pastor of the church is that at the end of every message, there's an opportunity for us to surrender our lives to the Lord because we never know where people are. And people, God showed me early on, we had people that had attended the church for years that one day responded to the altar call. I thought they were saved because of that name, Christian. But they surrendered. So you as a believer, now's the time that you begin to pray for those that may not know Christ, either in this room or listening online or even those that would find this message later and would listen to it. So maybe this morning or as you hear this message, you're hearing these words and you know that things in your life are not right. They're not where they need to be. That your actions, that your words, they serve you. And there's, there's always an emptiness. There's a, a void. Faith in God is good. Believing in God is good. But, but having a restored relationship with God requires action. As we've been talking about this morning. He extended his hand of grace to you. He's, he's given you a chance at his mercy. It's a gift that we receive. He sent his son to die for you on the cross. His blood was shed for you to cover your sins, to bring forgiveness. He went to the grave where, where three days later he rose again and he's with the Father in heaven now. It's because of that action we have an opportunity to be restored, to repent, to turn from our sins. to confess and to believe because of what Jesus did on the cross. Romans 10, 9 declares that he who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus died for his sins and rose from the dead will be saved. That's all you have to do. We all have a choice. We all have free will. We can choose to believe and spend eternity in heaven. We can choose to decline and walk away and literally spend eternity in hell. Confess and believe by faith. Nothing else you can do, for by grace you have been saved through faith. But you do have to take that action of, of praying, of, of talking to God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask you to pray something like this if this is you. Dear God, I know I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that you raised him from the dead. So I'm asking, Jesus, 
please be Lord of my life. Guide me, help me, and use me. Use me to bring hope to those that you bring across my path. And may my faith have action. In Jesus' name. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.